0: Good morning. It's good to be alive today. Isn't it good to be alive? Praise God for another day of life. I want to welcome our audience that's watching by live stream. I encourage you, if you're not part of a church, we'd love for you to be part of that. And if you're making staying at home your church, come join us. God wants us to do community together, uh, but we're glad you're joining us today. TJ, that's about the brightest Michigan hat you could find, isn't it? It is, isn't it? You went through your closet and said, what's the brightest yellow and blue that I can find? Or make blaze, whatever they call it. Yeah, hey, big night like Pastor John. George, I'm sure you're happy too. Yeah, grand scheme of things doesn't matter, but it's fun when your team wins. <laughs> Today as we walk through this passage, uh, it, it, it's, it's so rich, so good. Peter is talking to a group of believers, new believers, by the way. So he's trying to instruct them. Life's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But he wants them to know this that they and we are blessed beyond their imagination. Every once in a while, we need a pep talk. And this is Pete's motivational speech. This is his telling the scattered believers, like, hey, hold on, it's better than what you think it is. Don't worry about the troubles that come your way. And God uses those kind of moments to reveal himself. And, and sometimes he reveals himself just to say, I'm God, and this is what I can do. And we need it personally. I was on a missions trip um, with our family, to Cambodia it was one of our earlier trips in, and when we first went in to, to visit our, our orphan kids in Cambodia and Thailand, we would take a bus from Phnom Penh, and we would ride this bus the whole way to Battambang, and it was about a five-hour bus ride, and you had chickens and goats and, and people and bikes, and it was a long ride, and the whole way, they played Cambodian uh, karaoke music the whole way there, and so it was like nothing you've ever experienced, and uh, Hannah, you remember those rides but on one of our rides, the bus breaks down in the middle of Cambodia. We're on this uh, dirt road out in the middle of the jungle. And so after sitting there a while, the driver got out and, and pulled the, the engine cover off on the back. And eventually um, we got off and we stood around. we realized we're going to be here a while because one of the fan belts or alternator belts had, had blown. And so in the middle of Cambodia, there's not a shop. And so they began to talk, and we realized through one of the... The, the bus owners there, that we would be there a while. We had been there for about an hour or two. And, and so eventually, at that moment, I said, looked at our family and our kids, and I said, God has us here for a reason. This bus didn't break down in the middle of Cambodia for us just to sit here and twirl our thumbs and wait. Let's go see who we can talk to. So I had been in Asia, uh, prior proud of that, on, on multiple occasions, and so our family got together, and Hannah and Ann went to some bathroom, uh, it was a hole in the floor, uh, they can tell you that story, like nothing they'd ever experienced, and so we got together, and we were walking down the dirt road, and there was this rice farmer out in the middle of the field, he had a sickle, and he was taking a sickle, and he was harvesting his rice, and I knew that's where God wanted us to go, so... With family in tow beside me, I said, let's just walk out there and let's just talk to that guy. He's the guy that's there. God must want us to talk to him. And so we walked out in the middle of this field, and guy was harvesting rice, and his back was to me. And as we're walking out, this thought occurred, maybe this isn't a good idea. He's got a sickle in his hand. But anyhow, God's with us. We're going to go. So we walked out, and he turned around, and I spoke to him in, uh, in some Khmer, sua, and he responded back, sua. And, like, we're off to a conversation. And so then I said to him, Yesukri, Yesukri, you know Yesukri, which is Jesus Christ and uh, Khmer, he looked at me, said, you know Yesukri? And he kind of looked at me again, and he said, Allah, oh, wow, he's Khmer Kong, he's uh, a Muslim in the middle of this field. And so I began trying to chat to him in my broken uh, Khmer and telling him about Yesukri and And we stood there and I put my hand on his shoulder and and I shook his hand and I told him as best as I could the message of Jesus. And I remember walking away from there thinking, man, God, you love that man. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was standing there in the middle of nowhere. God allowed that bus to break down. And he wanted some farmer in the middle of his field to hear the name Jesus Christ. And he allowed us as a family to walk to the middle of this field, middle of a rice field, and say, Yesucree, Yesucree, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus' name is the name above all names. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And I've seen people who've heard the name of Christ in a hut in Cambodia hear the name Jesus Christ and say, That's what I've been looking for. God loves us that much. When I walk away from those encounters, I think think of all the times in our lives that God has miraculously intervened and he's pursued us. and, and, And Peter's looking at this group and saying, listen, it's so good to know Jesus Christ. No matter what else happens in your life, no matter how difficult it gets, remember this, Jesus is all you need. Grab your Bibles, and I'm going to show you what, as he tries to encourage you. And turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will put one in your hand. But look at 1 Peter. We're going to read verses chapter 1, verses 13 to 25. 13 to 25. Stand with me, please, and, um, and let's read this out loud together. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 25. Let's read this together. Ready? Read. Now that you have purified yourselves, be obeying the truth so that you can have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not a perishable seed of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. You may have a seat. Peter's reminding these believers, and he's reminding us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God moved through the Holy Spirit and said, Peter, right. He carried him along and moved him over here and said, right. And so he's giving that message, and he knew that message was one that we would need. And as you look at this beginning, it's like Peter is saying, we need to roll up our sleeves and live like we are redeemed. And Peter is part of this, this group that had just witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. I want you to pull away again. It's always good to go back and look at the character of the person who's writing this. We looked a little last week. Well, let's dig a little deeper today. Peter was very impulsive in his loyalty to Jesus. He actually argued with Jesus one time. Now, I want you just to stop and ponder that thought. He walked with Jesus for three years. And there was this moment in time that he knew he, he was... Different. He never saw him sin. He watched him do miracles. And he knew that Jesus was going to be the, the coming Christ dying on the cross. And so Jesus has this conversation. And in Matthew chapter, you don't need to turn to verse 6, chapter 16, verses 21 to 23. Jesus has this conversation with Peter, and he's telling the disciples, he says, This, there's coming a time, and it's going to be real soon, that I'm going to the cross. And I'm going to die for you, and I'm going to die for the world. And I want you to know that, that the time has come for me to become, as we would understand, the ransom for our sin. Peter, in his loyalty to Jesus, begins arguing with Jesus, pulls him aside, pulls Jesus aside, and literally says this. He took him aside, and he rebuked him. Matthew chapter 16, verse 22 says, Peter rebuked Jesus. Now, that takes guts, doesn't it? And it says, He tells him, God forbid it that this would happen to you. In other words, He's saying, You're not going to die on the cross. You're not going to die. I rebuke you, Jesus. I rebuke those words from you. Jesus gets ticked. Jesus gets upset with him. And nobody says to him, He walks up and He says, Pete, Get behind me, Satan. So there's this encounter of the loyalty. And the reason he's upset is because he was more concerned about his own welfare, Peter was, than the welfare of the world. In fact, Jesus tells him, he says, you only have concerns for human things and not for what God has. And so he rebukes him. So that's a moment in time. Jesus himself calls him Satan, get behind him. Not very much longer. What happens to Peter? He denies Jesus three times. We saw that a couple weeks ago. And then death occurs, and then the resurrection occurs. Now, in Mark chapter 16 and verse 7, look at this later. This is a fascinating read. We're going to look at it in our small group tonight. Mark chapter 16 and verse 7, Jesus has resurrected from the tomb. And it says that the women ran to the tomb. This is fascinating. Don't, Don't look there. Just listen up. Jesus, it says that the women ran to the tomb and there was a man dressed in white. It was an angel. This angel was there. And this angel looks at these women and says this, Go tell the disciples and Peter that, I am, that Jesus is not here. Think about that. Why? Well, Peter was a disciple. But why did the angel call out or want Peter to know. Now think about it for a second. Let's just just a little talk on angels a little bit. Angels don't project the future. They they're not all-knowing. So the angels don't know what's coming. They don't know what Jesus knows. They're not unknowing. They only know, in fact, the Bible tells us that they lean into things, they learn. So they're learning too. But at some point, think about this. When Jesus was resurrected, angels are messengers sent by God. At some point after the resurrection, Jesus went to this angel and says this. Now listen, there's going to be some ladies that are going to come. Because the angels didn't know that. And here's my message for you. I want you to tell these ladies, to tell them that I'm not here, that I'm resurrected. Tell the disciples that. And make sure, angel, whatever your name is, make sure you tell the women to tell Peter too. Why? Because he knew that Peter would be reeling in guilt for denying him three times. And even though he had restored him later, Jesus took the moment because he singled him out because he loved him. Think about that for a second. Of all the people that were there, he took the time. And so Peter... It's no wonder Peter loves Jesus. He was restored later. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep. I love you, I love you, feed my sheep. But Jesus himself took time to single him out and make sure that the women would tell Peter that Jesus said, hey, I'm resurrected. Peter clearly knew what forgiveness was and redemption meant to him. And now he's writing this and he's saying, listen, scattered believers, it's a lot better than what you realize it is. There is a God that loves you so much that he'll send a man and his family to a field in Cambodia to tell you, Yesu Kri. There's a God that loves you so much that he would take time after he was resurrected to talk to an angel to say, I love you, Pete, I love you. He loved Peter that much. We need to pause for a second remind ourselves Of some other truths regarding this place called earth. Because we get too attached to it. God didn't bring us here to build an earthly kingdom. But to be on mission with the gospel. And we need to define some terms. Because Peter uses a term called exile. He calls us exiles. But let's define some terms. Let's define the term immigrant first. An immigrant is you are not from here. But you have made this your permanent home. This is what many Christians do with the world. They are more concerned with how things turn out down here. And so we live as immigrants and not exiles or ambassadors. There's another term that many of us live by if we're not careful. We live as tourists. We know our homes in heaven. A tourist is someone who never really gets involved. You pass through. And we even say that I'm just passing through. We speak our own language. We stay in our groups, we eat our own restaurants, and we look for Starbucks. That's what tourists do. And we kind of take the tourist view. Well, I, uh, heaven's my home, I'm just going to kind of pass through here. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Let's take a picture. Let's put them up on Google. Let's have a story on Instagram. Hey, it's been good to be a tourist here. No, we're not tourists either. In fact, we're exiles, and that's what Peter calls us here. And an exile is you're not trying to become an immigrant. You know you are a citizen of heaven, but you also realize that for a time that you are stationed here, you need to be on mission to bring as many to your homeland as possible and tell them about Jesus. That's what an exile does. We're not tourists. We're not immigrants. In fact, later in 1 Peter chapter 4, and verse 9, he calls us ambassadors or God's cherished possession. I love that phrase. It's the Greek word, cherish possession. We are ambassador. An ambassador, literally, it, it, it comes here and it's sent into a country with a mission from another country for the purposes of that country. And so he reminds them, hey, you're exiles. And then he says in verse 13, look what he says. Therefore, and you've heard me say this before. Anytime you see the word therefore, you have to ask the question, what is Therefore. Therefore is there because we have a living hope in Christ. And he says, because of that, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And so we should have alert minds. One translation says this, to gird up the loins of your mind. Like, what does that mean? It's an old word that we would use in the the Texas Receptus, and the King James Version uses up, gird up your loins. It's this picture of literally a Roman soldier, they would have a robe on, and whenever they needed to go somewhere quickly, they would gird up their loins. They would take the bottom of the robe, and they would tuck it into their belt, and they would pull it up, and they would run so that they wouldn't trip. Have you ever seen a wedding gown when the, the bride... Has to walk up steps, and how hard it is to walk up steps. And so, the 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 maid of honor and matron of honor come, and she'll help with it. Or have you ever been to a graduation ceremony and tried to move quickly in those gowns? Like they're impossible. So what do you do? You gird up your loins, you pull it up so that you can move. He's saying, be alert. Now take your minds, gird them up, get them distraction free, so that you don't stumble or fall. And he says, be fully sober. With your minds and be alert to what's happening around you. The best example I can think of this idea. I was in Texas a few years back for C national board meetings, and while we were there, we visited some uh, local churches. And so we went to Tony Evans Church on, on, on Saturday, or actually on Sunday. And it was great to sit in his worship service and be fed by Tony Evans. And, uh, and so we decided while we were there, we'd go to Ed Young's church, Fellowship Church, which was in Grapevine, Texas. So we went to Tony Evans' church, and then we went to Ed Young's church. And on Sunday, he said, we're close. Let's go to T.D. Jake's church. And so we rolled into T.D. Jake's church, and we found ourselves in there. And there was a moment we didn't realize that they were on stage, and they had ten women on stage. And if you've never been to T.D. Jakes' church, it was incredible worship. And, and women are dressed in long dresses and hats. And when they worship, they, they flow them around. It's just beautiful. It's just, I think, when I go to places like I think, this is going to be a taste of heaven. In any case, they brought these ten women up on stage. And they told the women that they were going to give away a minivan, a new minivan, to one of the, the, the single moms that were there. And so T.D. Jakes came out, and he invited these ten women out on the stage, up on the stage, and he was going to reach in a bag and grab one of the names, and this woman would get a minivan. It was near Mother's Day, and so they did this. And so they brought the women up, and as they came up, they they girded up their loins and walked up the steps because they had pumps and heels on, and their dresses were long. And so he pulls out this slip, and on this slip, he says, here are the names, and he began reading all the women's names, all ten of them. And they're kind of looking at each other like this and looking like, he says, By the way, he so said, We've been, a local car dealer has blessed us and they decided to give 10 vehicles. And every single one of you get a car. You should have seen them roll up their skirts. They rolled those things up. They were running down the aisle, screaming and yelling, running in their heels. And it's this is picture like, Get out of the way! Here I come! And that's the picture that Peter has here. Gird up your mind, be alert. Be ready to run if need be, if that temptation comes. He's saying, get rid of anything that would distract you. Don't let the suffering and persecution, the pain, don't be poor me when hardship comes your way. Don't let sin encumber you or entangle you. Have laser focus. Be ready, be alert to go. Why? He says, be sober-minded. It means be clear headed and reminding yourself every day, listen, remember, we're exiles here. This isn't our home, and we live in the home where there's an enemy that wants to take us out. So we should be sober minded. Don't let the culture inebriate or intoxicate your mind and pull you out of the battle. You are in a battle for souls, not just survival. But advance and take back the ground the enemy has stolen from you and your brothers and sisters. Don't let your minds get fat and lazy. Spiritual trouble always begins with a lazy, undisciplined mind, Peter is reminding us. And all of our problems start between our ears. And so Peter's saying, gird them up. Put them in your belt. Be ready to run and flee. Be sober minded. The best way I can think about living that way was when I was bear hunting in Alaska. And so we took a a, a worthy sea vessel out across the the Prince William Sound Bay, and it was about a four hour ride. And we got back into this cove, and, and so we got our tents out, and there was snow on the ground when we got there. And so we were going to tent for eight nights, and then we were going to bear hunt take a, a, a boat out and just glass the shoreline and then spot and then stalk and then shoot the bear. And as we got there, we, we put up tent, put up the tent. And so we were sleeping on cots. And I remember thinking, I want to be alert because this is grizzly bear country. This is where black bears and grizzlies, they can eat you alive. And so as I was in my tent the first night, I was laying on the tent in my sleeping bag, and I had my .30-06 laying beside me, and I had a handgun beside me because I was going to be ready if a bear came knocking at my tent. I slept like this. I was alert, sober mind. Fully aware of what was happening. And I remember this thought occurred to me. I thought I was in charge and I knew what I was doing. I made sure that my cot and I was facing the zippered entrance of that tent. As if somehow the bear would come through the entrance of the tent. <laughs> but needless to say, the point is this. Be alert. Don't be intoxicated. With the trials and tribulations and hardships and distractions and sin that so easily entangles be ready and he's looking at these new believers saying it's going to be hard and i want to let you know there's a real enemy out there and he will take you out if you're not girding up the loins of your mind and then he says this in addition to that he says this as obedient children verse 14 do not what to the evil desires conform And he says, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. In other words, there was a time... That you lived as an ignorant man and woman. And what was that? That was before Christ. That's when you rejected Christ. That's when you did foolish things and thought foolish thoughts. He says, don't conform to those evil desires. You were a different man back then. You were a different woman back then. Listen, don't go back to the old old you, you. Come back into this new you. In other words, don't conform. You know what conform means? It means to squeeze into something that doesn't fit. The best example I can think is a man in skinny jeans. <laughs> That's it, man. Like, sometimes I think, dude, how did you get in those? Did you stand on your bed and stand them up and... And then it's like... And then it walks like... And Peter was saying, <laughs> don't squeeze yourself into something that doesn't fit. You're a new man. You're a new creation. He says, don't do it anymore. You're a new creation, and new things don't belong in old packages. (laughs) You get it too, don't you? One of the ways I can think about this too is um, when I go... Camping, when I was at Wild at Heart again this year, one of the things I like to do is I like to take an air mattress with me and just get my sleeping bag out and sleep under the stars because you get to see God's creation. So we roll in. It's usually about 2.30 in the morning, and you get your air mattress out. And So I got my air mattress out, and everyone gets out. They're battery-powered. You see them, fans. You stick it up, and you hear this. <makes noise> And it finally gets up. It's beautiful. It's exactly what you need. And so I lay down, head north, you know, up in the air. And so I lay down and I slept well. But then Saturday rolls around. What happens Saturday? you got to let all that air back out of that mattress. And so you know what you do? You roll it out and you squeeze it and you try to push the air. And you push and push and push and you roll it up and you compact it. And you finally get it down to the smallest that it is. And you look at it and the box is half the size. And so what do you do? You try to take that air mattress that that was once stuffed in the box and put it back in. And what happens? The box is this big and the air mattress is that big. Why? Because it had life and air breathed into it the night before. And it was made to what it was supposed to be. And it no longer can fit back into the package because new life has been breathed into it. And Peter's saying, don't go back to the package. Let the breath of God and the Spirit live in you. Don't conform. Don't go back. And then he says this, which is very, 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 very challenging. He says in verse 15, But just as he who called you is what? What's it say? Holy. So be what? Holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because... I am holy. You know what the word holy means? It means to be separated. But here's what happens when you and I hear this word holy. Holiness to most Americans is not an attractive concept to us. We picture a monk dressed in a robe living on oatmeal in a dry, barren desert, tiptoeing through the tulips. We think of sterile, boring, white, colorless light. And it's like, I don't be that. I don't know, who wants to be holy? Like, that's kind of the picture that we have of holiness. Let me give you what I think, and I know is from a biblical understanding, holiness can be defined as wholeness, a perfection of all that is good. There's a big difference there. And what is that? It means perfect love. It means perfect joy. It means perfect goodness. It means perfect attitude. It means perfect preparation, perfect justice, perfect discipline. It's this lean, mean, fighting machine that lives with the fullness of God and Augusto with life that's attractive to the world. It's not 2% milk. It's whole milk. Johnny, you can appreciate that one. You see, it's a well tuned body. That's not boring to me. Like when I think of my Savior being holy, it's like, oh, he's good at everything. And not only is he good at everything, he's perfect at everything. And he lives with a gusto and a fire for life. And Peter is saying, so should we. It's not, hmm. Keep in mind this, too, when it comes to God's holiness. His holiness didn't destroy us, but it healed us. You know, in Matthew chapter 8, when the leper asked Jesus if he would heal him, and Jesus, he said, are you willing? And he, he said, I'm willing. And what did Jesus do? He just touched him, and he was healed. You see... That is just the opposite of what happens when clean things touch unclean things. Normally, the clean things become unclean. Have you ever flown on an airplane when someone just hacks and coughs the whole flight? <coughs> and they're right behind you. Tammy, you've probably experienced that on your flights to it. And you get someone that's coughing all around you. Have you ever thought, well, I'm feeling pretty good. Have you ever thought, I'm going to go up to this person who's hacking away because I'm clean. I'm going to go up and breathe some goodness on them. <laughs> I mean, if By the way, if you thought that thought, you need help. <laughs> no, we would never do that, would we? Why? Because they're... <coughs> ...would get all over us, and what happens? The clean becomes unclean. But hear me out. There's only one God to ever live that makes unclean things clean and it's our God and he can reverse what was unclean to clean and Peter's saying don't you forget that God's holiness healed our unholiness the greatest display of God's holiness was not in his separating himself but entering the world of sin and corruption and taking it all on the cross and putting it away forever. And that truth should change the way we walk in obedience for him and to him. You see, we would say this because of that. God is not at the top of our list. God has his own list. God isn't just My number one of my ten favorite things. God has his own list. There is nothing on the list. No, nothing. Not number two, not number three that could ever get close to who God is. And what he offers us is precious. No one else in human history ever died for our sins. No one. And no one ever will. And so Peter goes on and he says this. He says in verse 16, be holy because I am holy. And he says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time in foreigners here in reverent fear. How do you do that? You do that in worship, of respect. It's not like you live every day and think God is a whack a guy. If I mess up, bam, bam. And you're afraid to do anything. You just sit in your room all day. I'm not going to do anything. I don't want to get beat up by God. No, it's just awe and respect for a holy, righteous God that, that we, when we are with him and we have the chance to worship him, we are in awe that we could even be his children. You know what should happen then? It should change the way we worship him. I want to give you... Some thoughts on worship. And by the way, I think Grace Community Church understands worship, but I think we can always learn. The Old Testament has numerous passages of worship that say this. Psalm 47.1 says, Clap your hands, all you people, those that worship God. Clap your hands. Worship God with your hands. That's a posture of saying, God, I love you, God. And I'm going to use part of my being to express who you are. I'm not bringing attention to myself. I'm just saying you are God. You deserve praise. Well done, God. I want to show you with my hands. Psalm 35, 27 says, shout for joy to the Lord. We should shout to the north and the south. All through the Bible, you'll see moments where they shout at the name of the Lord. In other words, Jesus, God, I love you. It's an expression that comes from the bottom of your heart. It's like you are God. Paul said to young Timothy, here's what he said. In 1 Timothy 2:8. He says, I command, listen, I command, I command, listen. I command men everywhere to lift up holy hands to the Father God in prayer. Listen, Paul said, I command men everywhere to lift up holy hands. Listen, that's not drawing attention to ourselves. That's Paul saying to young Timothy, it's an expression of, God, you are my all. You deserve everything. Now, let me just pull away and just bring it to earth. Very frequently, we'll say things like this. That's not my personality to do that. The Bible speaks nothing about your personality when it says that. Besides, football games Sunday afternoon, does that give you a reason to not cheer when your team scores? Does your personality come into place then when your team scores a touchdown or stops the other team on a fourth down? Does your personality say, well, I'm not going to cheer? Or we might say this, be careful with this, I don't feel like it either. It's not what you feel like when it comes to worship of God, but what he is worthy of. And here's the other one. Here, here it is. I've heard this and it's an excuse. People will say, or they're just trying to bring attention to themselves. that, those, that group, All you're doing is bringing attention to yourself. Do you say that to the guy that's in the stands who turns and high-fives you when your team scores? Do you say, well, you're just bringing attention to yourself? Do you do that when you stand with all the other fans of a football team and yell, defense, defense? Defense and you shout for joy when they stop them. Do you look at everyone and say, "Oh, they're just bringing attention to themselves"? Do you look at the person beside you when your team scores and you're with them and it's touchdown? You're like, "Yeah, touchdown." Do you say, "Oh, they're just bringing attention"? Why do we do that in the local church? When the greatest God who has ever lived should have the best and greatest fans to ever live and they're called followers of Christ. Where do you decide logically? You have to explain that to me. How you can say it's okay here, but we're unwilling to do it for our God. Imagine this for a second. Imagine you're going to a Super Bowl game that your team is playing it. Now, I know my God could do immeasurably more than I'm asking and imagining, but that would be awesome for the Redskins. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't give up hope. But imagine, you're going to a Super Bowl game where your team is playing. Would you sit there motionless during the game sipping on coffee? Would you? Would you never cheer for a touchdown? Would you stand with your hands on the chair in front of you and go? And all around you, people are cheering, and your team just scored? Would you wear some team gear, or would you come dressed without the team gear on? Because you wanted people to know that that's my team. What would happen to home field advantage if we cheered on our team at football games like we cheer on our God when it comes to singing on a Sunday morning? There wouldn't be home field advantage. Why? Because it would be this. What happens when your team is on defense and you don't want the opposing team to hear their snap counts? What do you do? Shout! Do you ever say, well, that's not my personality? Where's your logic in that? Think about it this way the next time it comes to worship. Every time we get together as believers in corporate worship, it's our Super Bowl, and it's our chance to give our all to the King and King and Lord of Lords who shed his blood on the cross, and he will never be defeated. That's the God that we worship. So how do you get there? It's a prayer I've been praying basically all my life. God, don't let my heart get hard, God. Don't let my heart get hard. Keep my heart tender to the things of the world. You've heard me say this. God's power shows up when we share our faith. Start sharing your faith and watch what happens to your heart. You see, uninhibited worship flows from an awareness of the preciousness of the blood shed on the cross and a value for what Jesus has done for us. It's a deep devotion to God, our Father, that's reflected in our lives. Hear me out. It's not we have to worship, but we get to. It's not let's get through the singing part but let's sing through this part, because the King of King is on display, and his children are there worshiping together, acknowledging that He is God, and I will lift him up, because I am in awe and respect of this beautiful, strong warrior king, Jesus Christ. See even there, some of you struggle. We're talking about Jesus. Let me give you a snapshot of what it means to be fully devoted to God. In the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 13 to 17, David, king of Israel, has come back from a battle, and he has these men they call them mighty men of God. They're his men who would die for him. And so David's coming back from battle, and he's standing, and he's just having a conversation. And in the conversation, he does what you and I say sometimes. Like, sometimes in the summertime, I'll just say, man, it'd be good to have some of my mom's sweet tea, because she makes good sweet tea. And I'll just say, like, man, wouldn't it be good to have some of grandma's sweet tea? Because there's I'm devoted to my mom, and there's you know, there's this love that I have for my mom. And so David is standing there, and, and he's, After a battle, he's standing around. He's like, man, it would be good to really have some water from that well in that city. Man, that would just be awesome. He was just having a conversation. It wasn't he was commanding. And these three men overheard him. And they were fully devoted to him. And they looked at each other and they said, did you hear what David said? He would like to have water from that well. And you know what they did? They said, let's go get some. Now, listen, they just didn't go and dip it out. They had to climb over through the mountains. And generally in cities, the well was at the city gate. And generally the wells were protected because that was the lifeline for the community that was there. And so there's no doubt that these three men had to fight their way in to get this water. They had to fend off the enemy because they just overheard. David said, man, it'd be good to have some sweet tea. And they dipped it out. And the text says they brought it back to David. David wasn't even aware because he didn't command them. It was just conversation. They brought it back, and they delivered it to David. And they said, hey, you know that water that you were looking for? Here it is. And out of a devotion and love for their king, they handed him. And you know what he did? He spilled it out on the ground because he didn't want them to, to risk their lives for it. But the point is this. They didn't do it because they were commanded. They did it for him because of a sigh of want from him. Come on, church. We're not devoted to God because we have to be. We're devoted to God because it's an incredible privilege to be. And when we have a chance to worship our God, we should be in why because he loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ and Peter said he shed his precious blood for us I don't do it out of duty I do it out of love and Peter's reminding this group it is a privilege to know Jesus And that kind of devotion comes from knowing how God loves us too. Now Peter shifts his motivational letter to the people. And he says this. Look, look, Look what he says. He says this in verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. In other words, there is nothing that you can inherit that will be as good as what? But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world and was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. And he's saying this, there is nothing you will inherit from your ancestors that compares to the gift of Jesus' blood shed on the cross for you. Not silver, not gold. There is nothing that can buy back what his blood has bought for us. What's the word precious mean? It means that nothing else compares to it or can replace what it can do for you. The shed blood of Jesus is irreplaceable. Sometimes I watch antique archaeology and I enjoy seeing the things that they find. And there have been times as I've watched the show, they'll come across a guy or a gal or a couple that's stockpiling something. And they'll have it out in their fields, and they'll have just acres and acres of stuff that's worth money if they would sell it. And I watched an episode one time where they went into this, this city that no longer had people living in it, and a guy had bought basically the whole city, and every building, every pole burn had motorcycles in it. I'm telling you, he, if he didn't have 10,000 motorcycles, he had 20,000 motorcycles. And so... Frank and Mike were walking in, building after building. And so they would say, hey, how about this one? Will you sell this one? Nah, I, I bought that one when I was 16. And, or or I'm going to keep that one. Oh, I had too much sentimental attachment to that. And, and you'll hear him talk. When someone has sentimental attachment to something, they won't get rid of it. And so this guy basically had this whole town. He bought every building full of motorcycles. And he wouldn't sell one of them. And I'm... On the other side of the screen saying, what up? He was 78 years old. And I'm thinking, so? Why? Because you know what's going to happen, bud? Let me tell you. You're going to die one day. And your kids are going to be stuck with them. And they're going to sell them at an auction for pennies on the dollar. You have placed too much value in that but don't we? Some of us place more value in something that's been handed down to us from our ancestors. And Peter's saying, no, 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 don't do that. Because there's nothing that compares to the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's irreplaceable. So he wraps this section up and he he goes practical. Like, this is why I love Pete. Like, Man, he can talk, and he can, he'll come after you, and he's impetuous loyal, and then he just, okay, I'm going to keep it simple. So he wraps it up with this simple charge to us. He says, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, and now that you, Grace Community Church, or these believers scattered, have sincere love for each other, he said, do this, love what? What's it say? One another what? Deeply and from the what? Okay, like, oh, okay. That's it. And then he says, love each other deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, not anything that you could buy with silver or gold, but imperishable. Though the living and enduring, through the living and enduring word of God. And then he says, all people are like grass, in case you didn't know. And all their glory is like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. In other words, we die But the word of the Lord does what? What's he say? Endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So what's he say? Love one another like you are one family. And he uses two Greek words for love in the same sentence. He uses the Greek word phylos or Philadelphia love, which is brotherly love. In other words, love like you do your fight club brother, love like you do your remarkable women and your flourish group, love like you do your small group, love like you do your family, like love, 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 love your cuz, like love them because they're they're family. And then he uses the word agape love, which is unconditional. In other words, love them even when they do dumb things. Love them when you don't want to love them. Just love them. Why? Because we've all been born again into the same family. So how do you and I do that today? We support each other when we need support. We come alongside each other when we need people to come alongside and say, hey, you can make it. We provide for each other when we have resources and things. Instead of someone buying something, you got one in your garage, you see your neighbor needing it, you walk across and say, here, use this as long as you need it. You share with each other because the truth is everything that we have is perishable and we can't take it with us. So share with each other. And why? Because you and I have the same daddy and the daddy that loved us enough sent his son Jesus on the cross. And if we trusted in him as Lord and Savior, we are born again into a new family. Chuck Swindoll said it this way and it's a powerful true story he said this i remember an old marine buddy who became a christian several years after he was discharged from the corps when news of his converse, his conversion reached me i was more pleasantly surprised i was thoroughly shocked he was one of those guys you never picture as being interested in spiritual things He cursed loudly, he drank heavily, he fought hard, he chased women, he loved weapons, and he hated church. He and God weren't on speaking terms when I used to bump around with him in the Marines. One day, years later, we ran into each other. As the conversation turned to his salvation, he frowned. He put his hand on my shoulder and admitted, Chuck, the only thing I miss is that our old fellowship All the guys in our outfit used to have down at the slop shoot, the base tavern. Man, he said, we'd sit around and we'd laugh. We'd tell stories. We'd drink a few beers and really let our hair down. He said, it was great. I just haven't found anything to take the place of that great time we used to enjoy. I ain't got nobody to admit my faults to, to have them put their arms around me and tell me I'm still Okay. Chuck said, my stomach churned, not because I was shocked, but because I could only agree. The man needed a refuge, someone to hear him out. He needed the family of God. Not a rehearsed pastor, not a stage in personal production that too often passes for church. He needed the body of Christ, brothers and sisters of faith who would laugh with him, cry with him, Understand and accept him, struggle with him, and suffer with him. You see, when God's family forgets to call to, the call to authentic living and genuine love for each other, it fails to live up even to the camaraderie of a local bar. And then Chuck said this in closing In my earliest years growing up in the Swindoll family, my dad would remind us about the need for sticking together as a family. We may have a few differences inside these walls, he would say. But kids, remember, if your brother or sister needs you, you take care of them. You love them. You pull for them. This is a pep talk we brothers and sisters in Christ could use today. You see, Grace, we are members of the same permanent family. Let's love one another. Oh God, I pray that you'll move in our hearts today. And God, even right now, we get a chance to worship you again. It'd be real easy for us just to check out and say, I got got lunch to run to. And I pray that we don't check out. Even as I talked about worship with the living God in this message. It's by your precious blood, Jesus Christ that saved us, nothing but the blood of Jesus can set us free. And so, Lord, as we sing this song, may we be reminded of how good and great and awesome you are. And may we worship you from a heart of devotion that's been tenderized by the Spirit of God. And may our expression of worship right now be for you, because You, God, are the King of kings and Lord of lords, and you, God, are worthy of our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.